This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is Janet Cheatham-Bell, who left her position as a textbook editor in 1984 to become a consultant to authors, the book publishing industry, and to produce her own books. She recently moved to the San Francisco Bay Area to be near her three amazing granddaughters. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. And welcome again to the San Francisco Bay Area. This is my home. I hope that the weather starts to feel more and more homelike to you. Well, to have 50s in February for a Midwestern girl feels pretty good. I um, remember right before I left the Midwest, one of the times that I realized it was time for us to go was I came home early from school one day and I saw my mother, who was a remarkable woman, and she had come home early and was in her pajamas curled up in the fetal position to get the last rays of sunlight at about wow. 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, It was time to go. Yeah. Yeah. I do not miss that. Mm -mm. Well, I'm really looking forward to tackling some of these questions today because a lot of them feel too big to tackle alone. Yes, they do. And I was wondering if you would be so good as to read our first letter. Sure. Dear Prudence, I have a problem in which I seem to morph from girlfriend into therapist for my significant others. My current relationship of four months started passionately and full of fun. But over time, my girlfriend's mental health has taken up more and more time in our conversations. Now, at least 80% of our conversations are about her depression, and I feel like her depression has taken over my life, too. I want to help her and have encouraged her to speak to a therapist in addition to continuing to take her prescription anti-depression medication but having to battle her persistent self-doubt and constant need for reassurance and emotional investment has left me exhausted and killed my sexual interest for her stone dead. I have asked for space and time alone at least one day a week, but she still ends up at my house every day, sad and seeking attention. I feel like an unpaid, unqualified mental health support for an issue that is not getting better. How can I balance being a supportive partner while not allowing my partner's mental illness to take over my life? The thing that really struck me about this letter, in addition to how painful and overwhelming this sounds, but they have been together for four months, and she is already referring to herself as her girlfriend's partner. That feels really soon. Yeah. I feel like four months in, you should just be trying out the word girlfriend. Exactly. Like, this is the kind of letter I would maybe expect from, we've been together for 15 years. Yes. Four months should be, you know, we just had our, you know, first weekend away together. Exactly. What jumped out at me, though, was the very first sentence. I seem to morph from girlfriend into therapist for my significant others. Mm, so this has happened a lot. Yes. Yeah. That was what got me. Yeah, that this happens a lot and that this apparently happens faster and faster each time. Yes. Um, So my thought here is, you know, 
It's been four months. You're already at a point where she comes over to your house every day despite your asking her not to. I, I see no reason not to just break up right now. That's what I would do. But then the question is, how do I live my life in such a way that I don't just in another four months find myself doing this again? Exactly. You know, and that's where, you know, the word therapist shows up in the first sentence. Yes. See one. Exactly. But, um, you know, you're, you're going to get to ask yourself difficult questions like, what do I get out of those relationships? Yes. And that's not going to feel good. I, I was recently, not that recently, but somebody had asked me something along those lines, like, why do you find yourself in this pattern? And I felt so defensive, like, oh, I just have bad luck. <laughs> These people just find me. Yes. And they were lovingly but gently persistent and sort of said, like, but why do they find you? And 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 what do you think you're getting out of it? And as I actually sat and answered that question, I, I found an answer. I didn't like it because I wanted to think of myself as, you know, unfairly victimized. Yes. But, um, you 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 must get something out of this, whether it's feeling um, together by default, um, or like it takes the attention off of you, so that you don't have to look at things in your own life that you might need help for. Um, I, I I don't know the answer, but or sometimes people who always find themselves taking care of others, it's really their cry for help to be taken care of. Mm. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, there may be a part of you that feels like if I keep taking care of other people really, really well, someday someone's going to come up and say, I've noticed you doing all this amazing work and I want to do it for you now. Yes. And if I have to ask for it, it doesn't count. Exactly. Or I can't really trust that other people will do it if I ask for it. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's been four months. You're using the expression, it's killed my sexual interest for her stone dead. You know, that's bad. That's really bad. Yeah. The question that you ask is the most important one. What is she getting from it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the question you ask at the end, how do I balance being a supportive partner while not allowing you know, a particular partner's mental health to take over your life is a really good question. But it sounds like you want to answer it while staying in this relationship. Exactly. I don't think you can do that. No. I, I don't think that this woman has demonstrated that she's able to do that. I don't think she's interested in doing that. Um, you know, having serious depression and, and untreated mental health issues doesn't mean you can't listen to somebody when they say, I need a day alone. Like the fact that she's ignoring your boundaries. I, I don't think that that's fair to say, of course, she's doing that. She's depressed. Um, I think that's kind of unfair to people with depression right. who do listen when people say no. So, you know, four months in, if fun is that far in the past let this one go you guys aren't you know you're not living together you don't have kids you don't share custody of a cat <laughs> yeah this this one feels this is kind of nice we get to start with like a really easy one <laughs> i mean not easy obviously it's sad and painful and um i think you know part of the problem right now is the sense of my partner's already my partner she's not your partner she's your girlfriend um she's already so sad if i break up with her she'll be sadder you don't seem to be making her happy now Exactly. So if that's holding you back from ending it, I, I think you can just say to yourself, I, I don't think I'm capable of affecting her happiness. She needs to figure that out for herself. Exactly. I need to spend some serious time alone just asking difficult questions, maybe even asking some of your close friends um, whose judgment you trust. Like, have you noticed this pattern? Do you have any thoughts about it? I realize inviting your friends to give advice about your dating life might feel... Like opening a door you won't know you can close later. 
So feel free not to do that if you're worried. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So in keeping with this theme of uh, why are we or when are we allowed to break up with people, the subject of this next letter is creepy or sad. Dear Prudence, last year I broke up with my boyfriend for no real reason. He hadn't done anything wrong. I just realized that I didn't really want to date him anymore. That's actually a great reason. <laughs> you know, that's a fabulous reason. Thing is, he doesn't seem to want to accept this. He knows that I don't want to see him anymore, but he has not told any of his friends. When he ran into a friend of mine at a restaurant, she thought we'd gotten back together from how he spoke about me. After Christmas, I got an email from his mom that said she was sorry I wasn't well, but that she looked forward to seeing me sometime next, quote, this year. I had worked myself into a panic about this before Christmas and actually ditched my plans so I could go home to my parents and hide out. I had visions of him breaking into my place and just acting like he was supposed to be there. That's worn off a bit now, as my ex hasn't tried to approach me or been seen hanging around my place or anything. I guess I'd just gotten a bit paranoid. However, I don't know how to deal with this. Should I confront him? Tell people that we're not together? Make an announcement on social media? I manage the social media at my work, so I tend to curate my own presence carefully online and keep relationship status and other things offline. Or should I just leave it alone and hope it will get better? This has all been really disconcerting. Even now, when I feel better that he's not just going to turn up somewhere, this behavior is so out of character for my ex that I feel really off balance when I think about how to proceed. That's certainly a strategy for life, which is just sort of not acknowledging it when bad things happen. <laughs> Too bad that doesn't work. Yeah, um, you two are, in fact, broken up. Um, all he seems to have done is misled his mother and confuse your friend. I'm trying to think now just of all the times in my life when I have just responded to bad news with, that didn't happen. Mm. And I can relate to it to a certain extent. But, um, you know, there comes a point where you do have to acknowledge that you haven't seen someone in a year. You're probably not dating anymore. <laughs> I think that might be the case. So I, I, I feel like saying making an announcement on social media is not necessary. It would be kind of out of character for you. It doesn't sound like that's something that you would want to do. Does that feel right? Yeah, I, w I don't recommend that at all. What about the, the mother? You know, if, if this were you, would you want to have any contact with her? Would you start with her? Would you talk to your friends first? I would tell the mother that your son and I aren't seeing each other anymore. I'm sorry that you were misled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that seems pretty straightforward. You are. Yeah, you know, you can even respond to the email and say, sorry I didn't write back to this sooner. I was a little confused. Your son and I broke up over a year ago. Um, I hope you're well. Yeah. And then sign your name and be done. Right. Um, there's no reason not to do that, especially if you don't think there's, you know, it doesn't sound like she's covering up for him or, no, you know, behaving unreasonably herself. She just mistakenly thought you were sick and ignored her at Christmas. So if anything, it would probably be nice for her to know. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, as for your own friends, certainly say, like, if you run into my ex, um, he may apparently tell you or talk about us like we are still together. I just want you to know we're not. I, I've been a little put off by this. If he asks for information about me, I'd prefer that you didn't give any to him. Um, and, you know, let me know if he shows up. I think that's a good idea. Do you think that it's worth a letter writer getting in touch with the ex and, and asking? Or do you feel like 
keep the distance. No, I wouldn't get in touch with him at all. Yeah. I wouldn't, because he may see that as encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... I think that's probably the way to go. Uh, you know, I think part of the reason you say, I can't really identify the reason, I just didn't want to be with him anymore. Um, and then this weird, unsettled feeling you have right now of this sort of seems out of character for him, but also I now no longer feel like I know what he's going to do next. I think that's your gut talking to you. I think that you knew something, um, maybe even on like a subconscious level of just like, I don't get a good feeling around him. I don't feel like I can trust him. Whatever that is, you listen to it and you made, I think, a really good decision. I think that's being borne out now. So I, I would say even don't say like for no real reason. Um, not wanting to be with somebody is a fabulous reason to break up. Exactly. Possibly the best reason. I think she should just um, let him alone altogether, make it clear to other people. Mm-hmm. But not, I wouldn't get in touch with him at all. Right, especially because it doesn't sound like he's been trying to get in touch with the letter writer. Right. So at, at least we know um, that this can hopefully be contained by just talking to other people. Um, but yeah, I think you did the right thing, paying attention to how you feel, not wanting to be with somebody, even if they haven't done a bad thing, is completely fine. There are lots of people who do nice things all the time, but I don't want to date. Yeah. Yeah. If you made yourself stay with somebody just because they hadn't done anything wrong, um, I think you would be unhappy, and I think you did the right thing. So, talk to other people. Uh, you know, keep a keep a keep an eye out, but it doesn't sound like he's likely to escalate, and that's a good thing. All right, this next letter is all you, childless and cheery, dear Prudence. I am a career woman in my forties who has never married or had children. Many of my professional peers of a similar age are eager to commiserate with me about they assume is our shared situation of missed opportunities. Except I never wanted children, still don't. And while I tried relationships, it was never something I was cut out for, possibly because I thought I was straight for a long time and was pretty set in my ways once I realized I wasn't. So I don't feel like I sacrificed anything for my career except a one-time, almost profitable printmaking hobby. I find myself stymied in these moments as to how to respond to what is usually heartfelt sympathy and has on a few occasions been quite raw confidences offered by someone. I've been noncommittal, which feels untruthful and blunt, which seems unkind. Any suggested scripts? Man, I'm sorry that it sounds like what appears to be a lot of your coworkers have offered uh really, really personal confidences about their own personal life. Um, And I hope that they're not doing this, you know, on the clock. Um, I hope you're not being introduced to a new colleague and they say, are you in your 40s and childless? Let me tell you about something sad that happened to me recently. Um, But that is also painful because it's different from when, you know, if somebody's rude, you kind of have a little permission at least to be a little bit rude back or to acknowledge, like, you have behaved very rudely, I'm going to walk away. Um, But when people are trying to be sympathetic um, or when they're sharing something deeply painful and personal, even if it's totally misguided, um, it can feel a little trickier to draw a a clear boundary. Um, But I think, you know, anything from, I don't really want to talk about my personal life at work, which is always a great thing to say perfectly legitimate for any reason um all the way up to 
I'm actually really happy with my life or I'm really happy with my situation. Or if somebody just says, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, you can just clarify. I have arranged my life the way that I want it. I don't want children. Um, I, I realize it's always hard once you get on the defensive of yes. sort of like, no, 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 I don't want it. And then if people are already inclined to not believe you, they'll kind of say, right. of course, you brave little thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, recommendations besides just I'm fine? Thank you. I Yeah, I think I'm fine. Thank you is enough explanation. And if you are really comfortable with yourself and your life the way it is, just say that. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to explain anything, nor do you have to concern yourself with whether or not they will be offended by what you say. And it can be hard, too, because I think often um, if people hear uh, pretty general um, information about your life and they respond with some very painful, raw uh, confidences about themselves— while that's sad, it's also kind of a signal that they don't have great emotional intelligence. It's kind of a signal that they're maybe going to uh, get really emotional with you or try to invite confidences in return. And I think it can be really important to maintain a tone that is professional and really light and breezy um, and also firm. So just something along the lines of, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm actually very happy. Let's talk about something else. Um, or I don't actually like to discuss my personal life at work. I'm sorry. I was going to say I'm sorry for your loss, but I think not getting married isn't really something you can give condolences for. <laughs> I don't for. think so. <laughs> yeah, but but generally letting somebody know you are not going to be meeting their emo their level of emotion. Yes, is really key. Um, so I I'm really sorry. I hope they stop. I hope they can find a close friend to cry to, or a therapist, or a journal to share it with. Um, and just how odd to think that people are offering you their sympathy when they're professionals. And I don't think it's up to the letter writer to be noncommittal. Mm -hmm. I, I really recommend just being very confident and firm and saying, I'm quite happy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And the worry that the letter writer has about being blunt is I'm worried that that's unkind. I don't think you should worry about that because no. I, think, I think people are being a little rude or sometimes a lot rude yes. when they take it upon themselves to offer you sympathy for something you have not framed as a tragedy or a loss. Um, and even if they're sharing something sad about their own life, that's still rude. And that's not, you know, you didn't bring that to the conversation. You right. did not bring that energy. You did not bring that information. You did not invite those confidences. So if the moment sometimes feels a little bit unkind when you just say, I'm actually very happy, that's their discomfort to work with. Exactly. Um, you just get to, you know, uh, enjoy that silence knowing that you didn't make it and you don't have to fix it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if other people experience a moment of discomfort because they have just... Um, made unnecessary assumptions about you, shared an uninvited confidence, um, or, you know, treated your single status as a sort of burden, they get to go ahead and um, sit with the feeling that that brings up and maybe decide to act differently in the future. Right. And, you know, I hope you're able to um, spend a little more time with your printmaking hobby. That actually sounds really cool. Yeah, it does. I hope you find some free time for that. Maybe all the free time in those uncomfortable silences. <laughs> You'll be able to turn to your printmaking machine. But good luck. 
And I wish our next letter writer could learn something from you and your professional attitude because uh, our next letter writer is suffering some consequences uh, of some choices that they have made. And I want to help. I don't want to just be judgmental. Um, but this is sort of like a it's it's the kind of letter that I want to show to a lot of other letter writers who say, like, I'm really interested in somebody at work. Do you think I should go for it? I almost never feel like, yes, you definitely should. This person is your soulmate. And it's going to have good professional and personal repercussions for you. Um, the subject is unrequited colleagues. Dear Prudence, for about a year and a half, I was romantically involved with a colleague at work. And for the first year of that relationship, he was also in a long-distance, open relationship with someone else. We never crossed any of the boundaries of that relationship. However, our affection definitely crossed over from more than just friends. He told me that he cared for me and that he would break up with his girlfriend for me. Of course, that didn't happen for months after his initial promise. During this time, I fell in love with him. Well, who wouldn't? And while he cared for me, he apparently didn't feel the same way. Eventually, he left his girlfriend, and we began dating. After six months, we've broken up because we have different visions for the future, but have also both been promoted and now share a leadership position at work. I love him and am regularly in agony. He appears not to share these feelings and has had a much easier time working together than I have. I love my job, and I'm good at it. I want this to be my long-term career. He's just using it as a temporary gig until he gets his Ph.D. in a few years, but I'm tempted to leave because working together is just too hard. He's pretty unemotional and expects our breakup to be no issue professionally, even though we broke up because I loved him and he didn't feel the same way. Should I give up and try to start over at the bottom elsewhere, or should I hold my ground and stick it out? What's the opposite of a catch? Because that's what this guy sounds like to me. <laughs> Like, I, I sorry, I, I feel like I'm being hard on the letter writer, and I don't want to say, like, you fool, you should never have liked someone who didn't treat you well. I think many of us have fallen for somebody who didn't treat yes. us well, and then the worse they treated us, the more it felt like, I've got to get you to treat me well. Right. But this guy is just, you know, bad news and red flags all rolled up in a bundle of newspapers. I agree. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're not with him anymore. Um, if nothing else, you no longer have to be in a relationship with the kind of guy who says things like, I'm definitely going to break up with my girlfriend for you, and then forgets. Um, or who hears, I love you, and says, you know what, let's just be co-leaders on work projects. You know, this is not a guy who cares about your well-being. This is not a guy who cares about your feelings. This is not a guy who's looking out for you. So I, I would say... If you're at a point already where you think, I, I can't imagine working with him for the next couple of years, start looking for another job. Yeah, but, but you say, you know, should I try to start over at the bottom elsewhere? I worry that right now you feel so low and so down that you're kind of looking for ways to punish yourself or, or like slink off into the rain so sad and bedraggled that you hope he notices and says like, wait, I take it all back. D do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I yes. maybe. I may be reading a little bit too much into it, but there's no reason why you should have to start over again from the bottom if you have recently been promoted and you have a good career and you otherwise get good feedback at work. You know, you could look for a, a job of equal stature at a different company. Exactly. So part of me worries that this fantasy of starting over at the bottom somewhere else is kind of at least indirectly an attempt to get him to notice, like, look at how much you've ruined my life. 
Look yes. at how sad you've made me. Yes. And I relate to that. I do. But I don't want that for you. I really don't. And I don't think it'll work, frankly. I don't think this guy would notice if you were, you know, kidnapped by Snidely Whiplash and tied you to the train tracks and was, like, twirling a mustache. This guy would not, you know, bust out his Dudley Do-Right hat and finally start to do right by you. I agree with you. I don't think he would do anything right by you because his past indicates how he how he has treated you is how he will continue to treat you. And he's not going to be a better ex-boyfriend than he was a boyfriend. No. Very few boyfriends are. No. Um, do you think there's any value in trying to stick it out at this particular workplace? Or do you think it's just a matter of getting some distance? Well, I think if she tries to stick it out with the attitude that she has now, that, that she's so in love with him, that she probably won't be a good employee anyway. So I recommend leaving. Yeah. If there's any way you could try to, you know, keep your contact with him to a minimum, which I think would probably be pretty difficult if you two share a leadership position, um, it, it would be great if you could just kind of think of him as like, you know, a sort of decent colleague when he's not busy dating people at work while also dating someone else far away, um, but just a lousy boyfriend who did not get it and someone you are better off without. But if you just can't get there, and if right now every time that you see him, you're just like, this was the one that got away, um, then you got to look for a job somewhere else. But please don't look for jobs starting at the bottom. You You sound like you work really hard. You sound like your own managers think really highly of you. It sounds like you've been given a position of responsibility. And, and I think just because you feel really demoralized personally uh, does not mean that you should um, disregard yourself professionally. Don't allow his opinion of you to become your opinion of you. Yeah, exactly. Like this guy did not appreciate your value. And I'm so sorry. You sound like a person who has a lot of love to give, and I hope that you eventually are able to find someone um, who deserves it and who wants to give it back. You and our first letter writer both. I want you both to get to a place in your life where um, the idea of somebody who either totally disregards your emotional generosity or who sucks it all up and demands more no longer appeals to you. Exactly. Like, I hope you can in future see a version of your ex and say, Oh, I want to be really far away from you. I want good things for you. I hope you're well, but don't come anywhere near me. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. So, you know, pull out your resume, update it, look for good jobs that you are qualified for, not punishment jobs to make yourself feel more abject and abandoned um, and get away from this terrible guy. And frankly, not that great a colleague. You know, if you're getting involved secretly with your own colleagues while also involving them in your long-distance open relationship that you're promising you're about to end. You don't have great work boundaries. So, yeah, good work boundaries are important. It's never really a good idea to have a relationship with someone that you work with. But so I, you know, leaving that job and having a fresh start with a fresh attitude seems like a good move to me. Yeah. And just again, I want to give a plug to just finding a job that you like okay and you just show up and you do your work and you go home. Again, I, I don't want to be too hard on this individual letter writer. I just want to say that I think a lot of the problems that I get in this column are people who thought that maybe the workplace is where they were going to make all their best friends and meet their spouse and develop a brand new family. And I think 
it's great if you like your coworkers, but it's just fine if you don't and you still get a paycheck. Uh, all right. This next one. I'm going to let you read this next one. I'm, uh, I'm not ready to read this one just yet. Okay. The subject is depressed dog. Dear Prudence, I am in college living with three roommates and one dog. The roommate who owns the dog means well and dotes on him, but he has become incredibly dependent on her. This does not stop her from occasionally leaving him at home overnight or in the house alone for long periods of time, eight to ten hours. The dog refuses to interact with other humans or to leave his owner's room when she's not home. Instead, he sits by her window and waits for her to come back. He doesn't eat much, is underweight, and last month developed a habit of chewing on his tail, which we think is a nervous tick. He's just a sad dog. It's come to the point where he makes me sad to be around, and I fear for his health. My other roommates and I have tried to suggest that the dog owner devote more time to him, but she refuses to take responsibility or consider the fact that her dog is not healthy. Would it be reasonable to stage an intervention for her? I feel like this is probably going to be another letter where we do not disagree. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I. I think yes, of course. This dog is underweight and chewing its own tail. You got to talk to her. It's too bad there isn't a Department of Dog Services that you could call when a dog is being abused, like there is for children. I, you know, depending on where you live, it's it's possible that you know animal um, protective services or a local shelter would be able to. Um, advise you if there is, a, you know, a service that can stop by. Um, I think especially the the underweight part is really worrying. Yeah, um, chewing on the tail too. I think. Yeah, I would say call your like call a local vet, call a local animal shelter, tell them what you've told us, and say, is there anything in this city? Um, you know, is there a board or are there people who can give me specific advice? Um, if you have the time and the ability. Maybe take the dog to a vet yourself and say, you know, can you can you offer any advice? Again, I know you're a college student. You probably don't have tons of money to take other people's pets to the vet. But right. um, certainly do that. Um, and, and I think tell your roommate um, that you're going to do that. I don't think there's any reason not to say, I've tried to talk to you about this before. Um, you know, your dog is clearly underweight, not eating. I see the dog when you leave the house and he's miserable. I try to, it sounds like, try to play with him or, or interact with him and he just won't do it. Um, you need to take responsibility and go to the vet. And if you don't, I will. Yes. Which is probably going to make living together a little tense. Right. But I, you can't just sit there and watch the dog, you know, being neglected. Yeah, this is not a good situation. and um, Something has to be done. Yeah, especially like... You know, if he's not eating, like, it takes a lot for a, a dog to not eat. I bet. You know, dogs like food. Um, and, and so if he's that sad or that demoralized, you know, uh, he could go downhill pretty quickly. He could mm. get sick more easily. Mm -hmm. um, he could, you know, fall and have an accident. Like, uh, you know, an underweight dog is, is prone to other health problems. And um, this is definitely, like rises above the level of, like, my roommate never cleans her room or, like, the dog yes. makes messes a lot, which is frustrating, mm -hmm. absolutely. But then you, there's not quite that threshold of, you know, I should go over your head. Right. But, you know, you're living with an animal that's suffering. And yes. that is more important than having a roommate who is not mad at you. 
Absolutely. Frankly, this is a person that's worth having mad at you because this is a person who, you know, comes home every day, sees an underweight dog that's like chewed half his own tail off and says, this situation is fine and normal. I'm going to bed. Give me the dog. My dog just died. I want a dog and (laughs) I will take him and uh, we will be best friends. Um, Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, This uh, this is our last letter. And this one, out of all of them, I think makes my heart hurt the most just because mm. I really feel for this letter writer. Um, so the subject is searching for stability. Dear Prudence, I came out as a gay man about six months ago, but long before that, I had considered the possibility that I had romantic feelings for my best friend, Stephen. We've been friends for 10 years, and even though he spent the last five living abroad, we still talk every day and share the most emotionally intimate relationship I've ever had with anyone. We took a trip together over the holidays. It was my first time seeing him since coming out. He's been out since long before we met. And I had no intention of making my feelings known so soon after I had changed the lens through which we both viewed our relationship. But then, the first night of our trip, he came into my room and we had sex. And again the next night. And it was good, and it felt natural. And at this point, I was ready for this trip to become the great romantic getaway of my life. But on the third night, I was with him at a bar and sensed that he was pulling back a little bit. I asked what was wrong, if this was too much, and he told me he thought we should put the sexual part on ice. And I panicked. I started telling him everything, that this was unfair and I was sorry, but that I was crazy about him. He said that our friendship was the most important relationship in his life, that he didn't want to jeopardize it, and he didn't feel that way about me. I managed to talk to him later, more soberly, and he told me that he had searched his feelings when I first came out and realized that he didn't love me romantically, which cut even deeper. Shouldn't he have known that having sex with his best friend might trigger feelings that he wasn't prepared to reciprocate? I managed to pack this all away and made it through the rest of our trip and genuinely had a good time. Now I'm back home and I'm back at work and he wants things to go back to normal, checking in every day, chatting, making dumb jokes, the usual... But it's excruciating for me, like there's this enormous, painful thing between us that he is content to ignore and that I feel pathetic bringing up. I can't imagine life without this friendship, which has been a rock amid chaos for so many years, but it feels as though the burden falls entirely on me to put a brave face on to preserve a relationship with the man who rejected me, and that feels daunting and unfair. Is there a way to salvage this? Is there a path back to normalcy? I can't imagine how it can be resolved because apparently he feels very strongly about this man and it's not reciprocated. I I think, too, that he told you, when you came out, I asked myself, could I have romantic feelings for you? Decided that the answer was no. Didn't mention that to you. And then when we went away on our trip, you know, knocked on your door in the middle of the night and, you know, was ready to go. You know, it would have been one thing if he had said, hey, I'm so glad you're out. I'm excited for you. Uh, If you ever want to have casual sex with me, let me know. But I'm not available for anything else. You know, you could have either said, sure, that sounds great to me. Or no, I want to be either friends or in a relationship. Nothing in between. But man, oh man, if he wanted to communicate to you, congratulations on coming out. I'm excited for you. I don't want to get involved showing up in your room and sleeping with you was a very, very misleading thing to do. Yes, it definitely was misleading. And just selfish. Like, I'm, I'm glad you both had a good time. Um, 
But there was no reason for him to do that and not say, by the way, this is not an escalation of our relationship. Like, yes, you are right to say, you know, shouldn't he have known better than to do something that might trigger feelings he didn't reciprocate? Yes, he should have known better. But what he really wanted to do was have sex and he kind of didn't care if he hurt you. And that is the person who is your best friend? Yeah, I I think sometimes we can be friends with people who we kind of notice the way they treat their like romantic or sexual partners and we think like, oh, that's not great, but you're a really good friend. And that can be one thing. And then if we experience it firsthand and we see it and, and we feel the way that it's kind of demeaning or, or, or selfish or pushes you aside, it's like, oh, this is actually not a funny little quirk of yours. This is an issue of your character. Yes. And it it was one thing when I saw you do it to other people, but I never thought you would do it to me. And you did. And so I, I think, you know, the path back to normalcy would kind of involve pretending you don't know what you know. That's an excellent point. Um, And it sounds like you could maybe force yourself to do that. It sounds like you've already done a pretty good job of squashing down your feelings, saying they don't matter, trying to make yourself enjoy the things that you used to enjoy before you knew this about him. And you are wondering, you know, is this going to work long term? And, you know, I just think you need to be mad at Steve. Yeah, suppressing feelings is not good to you or good for you especially like he didn't even say you know he didn't even say after the second time you know I've really really enjoyed this but I really don't want to be involved romantically and I want to make that clear with you and had like stuck around to hear you have your own response to it maybe even to get a little angry um he he went out to you with a bar and then started acting icy like you guys are in middle school or something like he was hoping you would pick up you had to ask him why are you giving me the cold shoulder on our trip together? Right. So that that to me tells like says a lot again about Steve. Um, he wanted to get what he wanted, and then he didn't want to you know watch your feelings get hurt in real time. So he played a little game uh, where he knew you would have to be the one to say something. And I I think that's that's not a very um, I don't have a lot of respect for that choice. Yeah, a good question to ask is, do I want to be this person's friend? Yeah. So, you know, I think be mad at Steve. Say to Steve, uh, I'm angry with you. Um, I, I I can't just go back to pretending like things are the way that they used to be. Um, I, I, when we first started sleeping together, I had real reason to think that we might both want the same thing. Um, it, it was both hurtful that you slept with me knowing that you did not have any romantic feelings for me and that you didn't say anything. You didn't make that clear so that I kind of had the option of making a decision for myself. Um, and then when you were done kind of like having fun, um, you made me guess and you pulled away um, until I said, why are you treating me differently? Um, and those things were unkind. They seem really out of character for you. That's not the behavior of a friend. And it really hurt me. Yes, I think he has to have that conversation with him. He has to. I mean, if they've known each other all these years, Mm -hmm. if they can't have that conversation, what kind of friendship is it? Yeah. Oh, I think that's it right there. Like, maybe Steve can hear that and really apologize and really say, you're right. I was being selfish. I was only thinking about what I wanted. I hurt you. Maybe then you can kind of say, okay, I appreciate that. I still need a little time to get over it. But maybe someday we can 
resume some kind of a friendship and and look back at that as a really difficult time. But, you know, if he hears that and just says, you know, oh, well, you should have known or I'm sorry that like you were confused, but, you know, this is you should have just known um, or if he tries to diminish it or downplay it in any way, um, then I think you have a pretty good um, indication that Steve is not as good a friend as you think he is. And that's got to be unbearably painful. I know you say this is the most intimate relationship you've had, but it may also um, it may also be that that intimacy for a long time depended upon a certain dynamic that's no longer the dynamic you two have. Yes. And and it may be if you learn this about him and and you have to part ways um, that you will have time and space to develop different kinds of intimacy with other friends and other relationships and other boyfriends. I think this may be perhaps the greatest lesson you've ever encountered, especially since you newly come out. This just may be a nice little learning experience for you. Yeah, that he was willing to be your friend when sex was off the table. But when sex was on the table, he kind of stopped caring about your feelings. Yes. And, you know, I I would put him in a similar category as the um, colleague slash ex from a couple of letters earlier, which is just... As long as I'm getting what I want, I'm a lot of fun to be around. Yes. But when I'm not, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make life difficult for you, and I'm going to make you feel like you're a difficult person for having feelings. Sounds a little narcissistic to me. Yeah. I, um, mm, yeah, I, I just, like, I don't love that Stephen's kind of, like, bubbliness is just sort of like, but now we're going to have a good time, right? You're not going to make a scene, right? Yeah. You're going to make things easy for me, right? Yeah. Um, it's not your job to make things easy for Stephen. You get to have feelings about the sex that the two of you had um, and about the cruel and thoughtless way that he communicated to you that he was not interested in anything else. Um, And you guys get to have a fight about it. And maybe he will be able to hear you and react in such a way that you can salvage something, and maybe he won't. But you, um, the way forward is not just taking a little time off and then jumping back into it or dealing with your feelings quietly on your own and then going back, it's telling him that he hurt you and giving him the opportunity to try to um, apologize. It has to be confronted. It has to be. Yeah, because you just deserve better in your friendships from your sex partners, even if it's casual. You deserve, like, transparency, honesty, uh, forthrightness, and, you know, similar desires. I'm just really sorry, and I hope that the next guy that you date is so much better than your best friend. More considerate. Yeah. Well, we, I think, have time for a voicemail today, which is very exciting. Uh, Hello, Prudence. I'm calling about a question of etiquette. Well, not really etiquette, but it relates to weddings. And um, my question is this. Recently, a dear mentor of mine, a college mentor, uh, became ill and was at the time believed to be terminally ill. And fortunately, the prognosis is a little better, but he is still ambiguously, he has cancer and he is still ambiguously ill. And so while death is not imminent and they are trying to fight it, he is still sick. I am getting married and I wish 
to invite him to the wedding. I was planning to invite him to the wedding. And now I am torn because I feel like on the one hand, it's a gesture to show that I care. But on the other hand, it really feels like he might, you know, this isn't, he, he's not a family member. And so it seems a little frivolous to ask him to come to the wedding in his, um, you know, in this time. So I was just wondering what you, what you would do um, and what advice you might have. All right. Well, we can each do this then. What would you do? Well, I would invite him since obviously this is someone um, that she cares about. And um, I would invite him and, and also let him know that I understand if you're unable to come, but I just want you to know that it, it would be, make me happy to have you there. Yeah, I think sometimes people can get really anxious and second guess stuff that's actually pretty intuitively correct when somebody else is sick or when dying is possibly on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Just this kind of like people sort of like lose their ability to gauge what is kind. Like, of course he would like to be invited to your wedding. He's not going to be offended or think that you're making a demand on him. If you're worried that he would read that invitation as an obligation, I think it would be lovely to add either in a little handwritten note in the invitation or by calling him immediately after sending it. I know that you've got a lot on your plate right now. And if you're not feeling well enough to travel to my wedding, I totally understand. I just wanted you to know how much we care about you and would love to see you if you're able to make it. That's all you need to do. Um, But he's not going to be hurt or offended or think, I can't believe you're worried about your wedding when I'm sick. That that would just, I I, I don't believe that that would be anybody's reaction. Um, So send the invitation, do a little follow-up, making it clear that you totally get it if he can't come. You just want him to know how much you care. Um, But... You know, it's not like you're demanding he show up to a destination wedding and, you know, stand up and do a reading. It's totally, totally kind and thoughtful, and he will appreciate being invited. I agree. Yes. Sometimes I hear from people who who say, you know, I got sick, and it felt like a lot of my friends dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah. Because they don't know how to handle it, or they don't know how to treat me anymore. And so they just assume the worst thing to do would be to do or say something that offends you, so the the only thing that I can do is do and say nothing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, without anyone intending to be unkind, has the effect of making people feel abandoned. Right. Um, and so I don't think you need to, you know, he's not suddenly made of bubble wrap or or going to read everything you do or say in the worst possible light. He's still the person you know. He still cares about you just like you care about him. Um, and he still wants to be invited to things, even if he has to say, I'm too sick to travel. Yes. Yeah. He'll he'll let you know if he can't make it. But yeah, send the invitation and, you know, send a send a casserole or a flowers or, or an invitation to go to the movies sometime or to, you know, help run errands if anybody needs anything. You know, if they're in the kind of immediate managing serious illness um, time of life. And congratulations also on your upcoming wedding. Yes. And congratulations to your friend on it sounds like um, doing doing really well with what was once a terminal diagnosis. Yes. Those are two pieces of good news. Yes, they are. What a lovely note to end on. Yes. Yeah. People getting married, people getting better. Um, congratulations. Janet, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was fun. 
I am just glad that we can get everybody out of the Midwest who's too cold and eventually <laughs> onto this podcast. That's the dream. Okay. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus, and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Production assistance by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show? Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.